Welcome to episode number 87 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. This episode is a little bit different than our usual ones. Regular listeners know that we record this podcast as a conference call, and we trim off the beginning and end of the call. And we also work from a list of possible subjects that we might talk about. But we've always wondered what would happen if we just did this like regular hangar flying, just played the whole phone call beginning to end, and what if we didn't plan anything in advance, just talked about what was on our minds? So here we go. Here's the whole phone call, which took place one evening in mid-June. See what you think. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Yeah, man. Hey, hi, it's me. Hang on, let me get. How's how's lost wages? It's like really hot here. Let me let me get. Yeah, let me get. That's a dry heat, right? Let me get Dave here. We got yeah, Dave here. <laughs> Summertime. You're not kidding, man. It's 106 degrees here. <laughs> and it's been like 105 degrees every day for about four days now. I mean, it's just see, like, yeah. You see, the thing about Las Vegas is people never go outside. I, I know, and I haven't either. I mean, I like, I haven't been outside to. Well, no, I haven't been outside today. I was out. I went out last night. I went for a little walk, but uh, I'll talk. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you more about that later on. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, anyways, we all here. So, so the guy landed on the highway in Florida. The guy landed on the highway. Said, you know, said he he. Replaced, said he, quote, seized a cylinder, unquote, replaced it in three hours, and then took off. And that's the uh, part of the story that I think is most amazing, is that he fixed- Well, it's not only that, but the video, he goes right by, you know, this this uh, surveillance camera sitting out there. And, of course, they, they released it. The, the, the taking off was the really neat part, I agree. Now, of course, um, you know, someone was asking, well... You know, can you really replace a cylinder in three hours? Well, yeah. You know, a buddy of mine and I did one, you know, on and off and on and off twice uh, um, on on my airplane, you know, in in an afternoon because we couldn't get it right. We couldn't figure out what was going on. But, um, yeah, it's somebody that's practiced at it. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I couldn't do it in three hours. It might take me three (laughs) days. It's not so much the three hours part, it's the the on-the-median strip part that gets me. Well, I think, you know... There he was at the Interstate 95-500 with traffic zooming by on both sides. Cast aspersions on either the news media or other aircraft owners. But I wonder if there might have been, you know, say 10 gallons of 100 low lead thrown into the airplane in the bargain. <laughs> now, there's... No, 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 no. <laughs> Not a trusted soul, huh? You know? <laughs> well, you know, um, it, it's a little too, 
we don't know, we don't know this guy. He just showed up here tonight. So that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, yeah. Like, like that thought didn't cross your mind. <laughs> crossing one's mind and crossing one's mouth are two uh-huh. things that I try to keep distinctly disengaged. Uh-huh. So there's that another. Uh, there's that another... didn't come out the way I wanted it to. No, it did. But it's on the record. <laughs> So there's another. Let me see if I can send you a link to this here. Let's see if this works. Um, this is another uh, another off-field landing on the highway up in Vermont. Did you see this one? No. No. I'm about. Let's see now. Make sure it came through to both of you here. A uh, beautiful airplane. I'm thank goodness he got it on the ground safely. But uh, what was it? Did that link work? Oh, yeah. well, I'm, I'm oh, having to cut and paste. Yeah. It looks like. Yeah. It's a uh, 1940 Waco. Uh, huh. Landed on the interstate up in Vermont, or up in New Hampshire, just up uh, near the Vermont line. And, but what they—it's really nice. They give the exact location here. The breakdown lane between exits nineteen and twenty. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a very busy stretch of highway. I drive that stretch uh, from time to time to visit my brother who lives up in in Montpelier, Vermont, and uh, um, so I, that's that one I can really picture landing up there. That's something. But. Uh, Anyways, try that. You know, that's a nice thing about that's nice. Low airplanes. Yeah, they go slow. Yeah, land. Although he said he, he says in the story he says I was he says uh, he says I was only going about sixty five miles an hour the highway speed limit, which not to say that they were traveling at sixty five miles an hour on the highway. The cars were going a lot faster than sixty five. But uh, well, he, he wants to be was, legal. You know. Yeah. What was it? Was it two years ago? Or last year, maybe it was last year, that one of the guys uh, I'm trying I'm trying to fish back for his name. He was going to be flying in the air show at AirVenture. Uh, flies a polished T6. Uh, lost the engine over US 41 yeah. down near Fond du Lac, and we saw a video on the news oh, right. that evening. Yeah, from a state trooper's car. Right. Right. The state trooper had heard the call that this guy was coming down or something like that, and he's looking for it. And about that time, the airplane comes over the roof of the state police cruiser and stretches the glide out and touches down right in front of him. Yeah, that was on YouTube. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty famous little piece of video. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, um, that, you know, it's a, God bless slow airplanes and God bless airplanes that you can stuff into small places because they have been the salvation of more than a few of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, this guy says he was going about 65 miles an hour, the highway speed limit. Well, you know, last time I shot an approach and the tower asked me what, I, what altitude I broke out at. Broke out right at MDA. <laughs> of course. You know, it's funny. I, yeah. I almost always break out 50 feet higher than that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's hot here. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's right. Not no. that there's anything wrong. No, no. With I'm sure that's exactly what happened. And, and uh, So, yeah, I'm, well, still, you, I'm still in Las you, Vegas. You, yeah. you came to mind this morning. I was, uh, uh, How's that? Well, uh, I had an early appointment out out of the out on the east side of town, so I was paying less attention to the newspaper for a change and looking at the Weather Channel more intently, because once again we had weather thunderstorms come through overnight. You know, it's kind of been like oh, it's the uh, it's the 756 from Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So I'm looking to see how much more of that junk we can expect today and happen to catch the national weather map for the western half of the United States. And it's showing all these locations just to the southeast and west of you that are in, you know, comfortable triple digits, 116, 118, 112, 108. I'm kind of like going... I should ask Jack tonight. How hot is it there? Man, it's hot. I'll tell you. I, I went out. I went That's, out once in the middle of the day when when it was like this, and uh, you know, and I mean, it's been like 105, 106, 107 every day for four or five days now. And uh, but it it is a dry heat. That's no joke. It, it does make a difference. It, it does make a difference. It makes it tolerable. Um, but uh, the thing that's really notable about the heat out here right now is the, is that the wind is hot. I mean, you know, the wind is blowing. There's definitely yeah. a breeze. And it's not a cooling breeze in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it's a hot, hot, hot wind. And uh, if where do you careful, think the idea for a convection oven came from? Yeah, yeah. Because I went out, so I had time off last last evening, and I wanted to go and uh, and uh, check out some of the other parts of the Las Vegas Strip here, some of the other casinos. But I waited until after sunset because I figured, okay, after the sun sets, you know, it'll kind of be a little more tolerable. And uh, so I waited and uh, headed out. And as I'm walking, you know, like I first stepped out outdoors. I, I, the, the, I'm here at the Mandalay Bay, and it's right next to Luxor, which is the pyramid. And then that's right next to the Excalibur, which is the one that's sort of right. like a castle. And they, at least used to be all owned by the same outfit. So there's actually a pedestrian wa- bridge between all of them. So you can walk from all through those three without going outdoors so i did because i think i'm going to maximize the air conditioning as long as i possibly can you come out a long way from where you started yeah so i came out of uh uh there at the corner uh at excalibur across the street from the mgm grand and you just step outdoors it's really interesting there's like a there's like a cloud of cooler air around each of these buildings because every single time i've gone outdoors you walk through the door and it's warmer and you say Oh, okay, it's warmer, but that's not so bad. You know, I, it's like it's it's tolerable. And then as you get about twenty feet away from the building, suddenly the real heat of the day hits you. All right, there's like you know, it's like there's like a little little uh, you know cold front coming out the transition place yeah. there. And and you notice that as you walk around town, um, just about any time you walk past a uh, uh, you know the doorway into an air conditioned area, it gets cooler for a little bit because there must be just a lot of excess air conditioning going on, and it billows out the doors, and it actually makes the outdoors cooler when. When you're near the door, so it's so it's 100. But I, so I went out the door last night, and I said, "Oh, that's that's hot." But you know, and I, and I whipped out my little iPhone here so I could check the current temperature, and it was still like 103 degrees or something like that. And uh, but the sun is set, and uh, so I'm, man, I, it's 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 one it's one great big heat sink. Yeah, I mean, every yeah. everything's either paved or a building. Uh, except for the you know the bodies of water, and we know the bodies of water hold heat even better. Yeah. Uh, so what you what you gain waiting after sunset is you know the lack of direct radiation. Right. Uh, but it doesn't cool quickly there. Yeah. But so it's it's pretty hot and uh, and go twenty miles out in the desert and it cools a lot faster. Yeah, take some water with you though. Yeah. Oh yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. So what are you guys up to? How's this? so Dave the thunderstorm? You still having a you had a tornado like nearby but not not there, right? Yeah, well, south of us a few miles and uh like we were talking about last time and uh uh the last couple of big waves and we've had about 3 of these since we last got together have uh, come uh from different directions each one of them. Uh there's one we're supposed to get tonight about 1 a.m. That is coming southwest from up in Nebraska and Iowa. That seems hmm. odd. 
You know, it's so. completely odd. It's just weird as hell to look at on the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday's came, or day before, came up from the south. And, I mean, due from the south. Just kind of went north. And a fairly long east to west line going that way, which is a little bit weird, too. And then before that, we had the more typical, on a 30-degree angle, northeast to southwest track and east. Yeah. Or northeast, uh, and uh, so this one coming down tonight, it's like very strange. Mm-hmm. And last night was up from the south, and it's just a multi-faceted, multi-compass point uh, uh, weather entertainment system. Yeah. Right. Mixed up, muddled up, shook up world. That's right. Ah, Roger that. Yeah. So, so and and just to complete the circle here, so it's hot and humid in Florida, right? Well, it's actually, you know, yeah, you get up in the morning and it's, it's, it, the air's heavy and it's, it's very humid. By, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock, a breeze picks up. It actually, to me, cools down. And I was sitting in the, I was, I was down at the Venice airport this afternoon briefly, uh, just sitting on a picnic tables in the shade and it was absolutely delightful. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, quarter mile from the Gulf of Mexico. Right. Uh, if that, that helps, that helps. Yeah, that helps a lot. Shade helps. Um, Shade helps and, and, and what, but it was, you know, this afternoon, you know, uh, riding back on the bike. Yeah, it was a little, you know, a little warmish. So are um, you going to try to get your, are you going to try to get your uh, uh, water wings rating up in Michigan? I am going to try. I was just, I emailed Rick this afternoon saying, you know, I want to get on the, you know, walk away with uh, seaplane rating in my pocket program and um, see what he says about that. That's, that's plan A, yeah. I might have to take an extra day to do it. But that yeah, that's what I was me. reading that thing. You got to go either before or after to do the. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I'll go you, after. Your 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 job description at Air Ventures looks flexible and loose enough that that shouldn't shouldn't be a big yeah. problem, should it? Yeah, I um, uh, I'm already running it past Bertarelli. He's aware of you know what what, what my plans are there. Um, he's going to probably actually ride up with me. Uh, I don't know how he's going to get home. Um, probably hit your eye with somebody else i don't know yeah but uh what my plan is you know just working plan right now is go into appleton okay on either friday or saturday before the show starts leave the airplane at appleton so i can get out anytime i want and um just rent a car and um, Avweb, I'll just shack it up at, at Avweb's house. They got they usually rent a house, and I'll just shack there. Mm-hmm. Major and car reservation get, yet? Say again. Major car reservation yet? No, I haven't. I haven't. I've I've never had a problem no. renting a car at Appleton. I I remember just popping in, you know, aiming for Oshkosh one year, um, and um, being you know with fifty of my closest friends. Um, at Ripon and uh, thunderstorm coming through and, and controllers like guys you know scatter <laughs> go away leave us alone we're closing the field and we're not going to reopen it until after the air show which is four hours from now you know you're free to orbit if you wish but you know probably not a good idea so you know we joined the hordes and, and went to Appleton and Security airplane, unloaded the airplane, <laughs> got a car, and drove down to Oshkosh yeah. and got there before the air show started. You know, it was, it was well, I guess about right right after, or right about the time the air show started. So yeah. it worked out you know, really that's, well. that's one of the things that uh, was occasionally fun about going to or from Osh, 
is having the flexibility for things to not go according to plan. Right. And then have them not go according to plan and wind right. up in circumstances uh, never, you know, never really thought about uh, trying to get home one year. Uh, 95, I believe it was. Yeah. Well, you didn't have an uh, instrument ready. I didn't have a license. <laughs> well, that, and, that does put well, out that too. But I, but my, uh, I'd soloed and uh, had done the cross country, and my CFI was going to sign me off so that my territory included included uh, Appleton. He didn't want me going to Oshkosh, but I was going to go to Appleton when the airplane broke. And so I managed to hitch a ride with a, a friend from here in Wichita. And I think it's like outside the fifty nautical mile local flying area, isn't it? What happened? App- isn't Appleton outside the fifty nautical mile local flying area for uh, for which? <laughs> well, I, I, he was talking to me about something about if I had this and this done that he could make the territory whatever reasonable size he thought I was qualified to handle. I don't think it works that way. I never got to that point. The airplane broke. Well, there you go. Okay. So I, hit, I hitched a ride up, and uh, going up was, you know, pretty much not eventful, at least you know, as far as anything I'm going to say publicly. And, uh, <laughs> uh, we made a nice stop at Atoma and had breakfast because uh, we were off like at, you know, 30 minutes before dawn. Did you see radar? Yeah, absolutely. He was there flipping uh, flipping uh, sausage patties on the grill Excellent. at Tomo Airport. They had a great restaurant there then and uh, took a milkshake to go, uh-huh. and we motored on up. Coming back. What, what equipment was this? 182. Okay. Instrument equipped, but a non-instrument pilot. Uh-huh. And uh, so, you know, he was real tight on when he needed to bug out, and I was a lot more flexible, but we bugged out on his schedule. And... Uh, uh, got about 30, 40 miles and had to find a place to sit down. Yeah. And That's a waited great that out. I like it. <laughs> yeah. It waited about an hour and a half, walked to Mickey D's, had breakfast, walked back. Oh, look, it's opening up. It's trending, right? It's going to be good by the time we get out of here. Uh, okay. I think we got another 40 miles. Uh-huh. And this time when we sat down, we were... Like we were alone at that first airport. Yeah, yeah. we were part of a uh, circus parade at the second airport. The second airport was Baraboo Dells, Wisconsin, right next door to the. And I didn't. I, I don't make this up. Right next door to the Ho Chunk Casino. Ooh, the Ho Chunk Casino. Cross my heart and hope my ailerons stay on. Yeah, the Ho Chunk Casino, yeah. and the hospitality folks there were Your just grand. There were twenty four or twenty five airplanes came motoring in there in a span of about fifteen minutes. Yeah. All of us, all of us on the run. Hmm. Uh, you know, it was find a place or get enveloped. Yeah. And uh, we all found a place, and we all got wet getting into the into the FBO. And it huffed and puffed and went back out and tied stuff down, and it huffed and puffed. And by the time things started to clear up, when we looked at the satellite picture and the and the terminal area forecast and the METARs down the road, and it was like, 
wow, where's the courtesy car? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's time for lunch. Uh, well, somebody's already using the courtesy car, but we can call the casino. And they'll send buses over and take you over to their restaurant if you want. <laughs> okay, cool with us. So we got three of these smallish, uh, uh, you know, like uh, uh, tour location buses, like you'd see at a big hotel complex, yeah, like maybe in Vegas. Yeah. And they they pulled around and they took like 30 some odd of us over and told us just to go to this one desk when we were ready to go back mm-hmm. whenever we were ready to go back and they didn't even wait for the van to get full it's like when there were two or three of us there we'll take you back mm-hmm. it was that close uh wonderful people later on uh we had to take cabs to hotels because nobody got out that day yeah. a couple of people got out barely got back uh, one guy was on the end, end of the runway, ready to go out and, you know, stick his white cane and red chip into the clouds and uh, took a look at it change in front of his very eyes and turned around, taxied back in. Uh, we had to get cabs in the bloody motels there. This is a real resort area, famous for its, you know, water shows and, and, and ski shows and things like that. And uh, uh we got cabs in like 16 different directions to eight or nine different motels and hotels. And that all we had to do was call the casino and tell them that we were part of the huh. stranded crew over at Baraboo Dells. And like, yeah, it'll be about 25 minutes. That's amazing. And the van came and picked up a bunch of us and took us and we ate and gambled and made money and got a van back. And it was absolutely the most fun strand that I've ever had. That sounds great. Oh yeah, and it, you know, I, I think my lucky stars, you know, my my buddy wasn't instrument rated, right? Because yeah, we'd really. have missed out on all of that. Uh huh. Oh yeah. See, there huh. you go. So I'm I'm not so bad off after all. No, no. That was when one of the times I flew to Oshkosh from California, and uh, I'm trying to remember. It would have been, it would have been early '90s, and. Uh, and uh, and there was a lot of weather throughout the Midwest, and so we we, we landed a, a number of different. We must have landed two or three different times for various reasons to wait for something to pass through. And every time we landed, we met a new person or a couple of airplanes worth of people who were also on their way to Oshkosh. It was cool. Oh, like, so cool! Everybody's on their yeah. way to Oshkosh, and everybody they land out, and you just you know you, you hang out in you know under the under the overhang of the hangar or in the FBO or whatever, and you chat about what's going on, you know, and you talk about it was like a mini version of Oshkosh. It was like gearing up for the event, you know. So oh yeah, the the, the assortment of airplanes that got run into Baraboo Dells that day yeah. was just grand as could be. Yeah. Uh, there were two or three really nice home builts. Uh, there were two or three really nice vintage airplanes. Uh, one that sticks out in my mind was a, a really lovely cream and maroon cream with maroon trim Cessna 195. Hmm. Uh, you know, it had the cow bumps painted in contrasting colors and all this. You know, uh, this plush leather interior and you just kind of, you know, I'd like to look in your airplane. Can I borrow a bib? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, that's that's it's cool to have to land out like that. It's like it's it's, it's that's what people talk about creativity. Sometimes they use randomness to generate ideas, and it's kind of the same thing. You need yeah. to kind of be forced to do something you hadn't planned because sometimes the unplanned stuff is the best thing. Oh, you know, the accidents like that. Accidents, bad choice of words. Uh, new decisions like that. Yeah. 
introduced us to some of the neatest places that we never expected to go. Andalusia, Alabama, with a pilot's op shack with uh, 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 virgin pine rocking chairs on the front porch. Uh, at the time we were visited, and we, we, we went back two or three times as a result of this first encounter. They had an old-fashioned popcorn machine and an old-fashioned uh, uh, hot dog and bun steamer thing. So you could pull, you know, you just tilted the lid, lid open and grabbed a dog with some tongs and got the bun out of the other side of the steamer. Uh, everything you wanted went out on the front porch. Uh, Gallipolis, Ohio. Uh, the airport terminal there was supplied by Bob Evans of Bob Evans Farms and mm-hmm. Bob Evans Restaurants because that's his home turf. Mm-hmm. He actually lives on a place near there. Uh, we... We were running from thunderstorms when we found Andalusia. We were getting out of icing conditions and uh, the, the risk of going uh, VFR and IFR conditions right. when we just followed a hole to the ground and, and Gala Police happened to be what was underneath the hole when we got there. Hmm. Uh, you need places like that yeah. that uh, you know you you meet nice people you see pretty airplanes you you learn more about the world and the folks that live in it and it's one of the you know one of the neatest parts about this because damn if you have to deviate in an airline airliner uh, you're lucky if they let you off the airplane yeah, that's right that's right so I forget what we were talking about oh I know the uh, seaplane thing so so you guys just go and hang out there for like three or four days and 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 fly or look at seaplanes or fly seaplanes splash around in seaplanes uh talk about seaplanes i've not been before uh-huh who so, runs this again this is this is well uh, um rick durden durden runs this okay he's yeah. been on the uh podcast before you met rick last year yeah i met him and i think he talked about this a little bit when he was on the podcast yeah but uh yeah um, so he, he sponsors, well, I won't say sponsor, but he organizes this thing, he and his wife and his daughter. And uh, <clears throat> I've been invited every year since I can remember, and this is really the first chance um, I think I'm going to have to participate. The, the Just about every year, well, gosh, since 99, uh, I've had to be there early and stay late. And uh, this is really the, f- except for... Um, Oshkosh, um, you mean. Yeah, yeah, Oshkosh, I'm sorry. Except for a couple of years earlier in the decade. Um, we have, a, we have, we have, we have a name for you. Yeah. What's well, that? What's the name? From, from here on, from here on, Slacker. Yeah. Slacker. No. Slacker. So you're going to this thing, and you're going to just hang out for, what, two or three days, and, and are you going to get to yeah. fly? And, uh, I mean, you're no, not going to do the rating until afterwards, but... Uh, yeah, well, I need to get the... I need to get in in tune, if you will, with uh, with seaplanes. But I, I've I've got you know some right seat time in a Cessna 180 on floats and some back seat time on a Super Cub on floats and and uh, so this um, didn't you're not going into this completely dry. Oh no 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 yuck, yuck, literally yuck. I get it Dave. literally or figuratively. Um, if basically the times I've been in a seaplane, about the most fun I've had in you know, an airplane with my pants on. Yeah huh? yeah yeah. Um, I've never really done are. it. I don't know. That's yeah okay. Uh, now part of that was you know a lot of the seaplane experience I've had was in Alaska. So 
um, you know, kind of kind of anticlimactic, perhaps, to do it in Michigan. But yeah, uh, I know that years uh, ago, long before I learned how to fly, um, I always had this fantasy. Cause my family has a, a a home on a lake up in New Hampshire, and uh, I always had a fantasy about getting like an ultralight on floats that I could I could operate off of our lake. I thought that that would have been cool. Maybe I'll do that. It, those days. are those are great fun too. Uh, flew a two place drifter on. Uh, Full Lotus Amphib Flopes down in Sebring uh-huh. a couple of years ago, uh-huh. and uh, it, it, it was right at the low end of horsepower that you'd want to try to do this with. Yeah, uh, but it did it. It did it real smartly once you learned the drill, and there was uh-huh. most definitely a drill to unsticking those great oh, big inflatable oh, yeah. floats. Oh yeah, uh, and putting it back down again. But what what really felt odd at first was a, a little. Uh, boat hall amphib uh-huh. called the uh, wow it was there and it just Aventura 2 uh-huh. yeah. it was made by a company over on the east coast of Florida uh, they uh, they put me through its paces uh, on that same trip I don't think it's made there I think it's imported by that company no it's made there is it yeah no this is uh, yeah this is uh, originally in one of the uh, ultralights it was a uh, uh, a spin-off from another design that was made in Florida in the uh, early '80s to mid '80s, and uh, but no, they, they make them there. So, uh, okay. I don't think I don't think they do the composites molding there, uh, okay. but everything else, the you know, they they buy the Rotax engines and the raw materials and have the wings sewn up in a loft upstairs and all that. Great fun, great fun, and it was a pusher airplane. Yeah. And the the combination of cord and thrust line angle uh, mm-hmm. gave it a little bit of a pronounced pitch change with power change. Yeah. But the neat part of it is once you learned it, you, know, you could really use it to your advantage getting on and off the water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you so- just drove the airplane toward the water with power on and the nose down. Mm-hmm. And you get down to you know what's about to be ground effect, and say, uh, you know, this can't, th- this is ne- not going to work. If I flare now, I'm going to float forever, and if I don't flare now, I'm going to sink. And you just ease that you roll the power back, nice and steady, and the the drop in thrust and the breaking action of the three blade prop, the nose just pitches up so nice and smooth, and the next thing you know, you just flown yourself right onto the water. Cool, cool. Now I think I've heard this before. This whole sticking to the the, the pontoons, the floats um, yeah. stick to the, to the surface. I guess that's well, I don't know. How does how does that work? So there's like surface tension or something. Is that what it is? Well, it's it's cohesion. Basically, yeah, uh, yeah. It's and cohesion. so what do you have to do to unstick them? What's the technique that? Well, there's you, there's there's two things that you. you First of all, of course, you've got to get um, the uh, the uh, the objective here is to get the floats up on the step. Yeah. Right. Okay. That reduces so, the surface area that it's sitting right. on by okay. a whole bunch. Yeah. Yeah. And basically, the the step rides on top of the water versus the float riding in the water. Okay. So yeah. It's if picture a uh, like a, a, a Chris Craft speedboat yeah you know on a hull speedboat <clears throat> at rest uh probably half the hull is underwater sure uh but at speed it's it's only the only the aft portion of right. the hull right. is underwater the bow is out of the water 
same same kind of yeah we call that we call that being up on a plane um, right, and that's and, that's and what you're doing. Yeah, okay. it's basically what you're doing with uh, with a set of floats on a on, okay. a, on a seat. Now, so that, does uh, that unstick uh, them, or is there more to it? No, that doesn't. That that's after, getting it up on the step is after it's unstuck, essentially. Um, to get well, it, it kind of helps unstick it. It'll, and it depends on the, on the float design or, or whether it's a boat hull to a certain extent too. Uh-huh. Well, most most floats are, are pretty much the same basic design, uh, at least in my experience. I'm sure there are, there are you know some oddballs out there, but uh, um, you get the airplane you know obviously full power and headed in the right direction, and <clears throat> depending on how heavy it is, depending on the power to weight ratio, essentially, uh, if if it's moderately powered or underpowered, you might have a little trouble getting it getting it unstuck. And the technique I was taught mm-hmm. uh, was put some aileron into it and try to lift one of the floats out of the water, uh, or at least get that float up a little bit higher off out of the water, if you will. Yeah, unload it a little bit, and and yeah. hopefully get it on the step. Once you get one of them on the step, the other one's going to follow. It's it's like um, it's like upshifting in a car, just that little burst of acceleration. I see. Okay. Uh, and by that time, you're on the step, and you're most of the way towards uh, liftoff speed. If you've got the right pitch attitude uh, at this stage, um, the airplane should just fly itself right off the water. Yeah. Now, I've also heard that, or read someplace, I forget, that, that landing on the water is also trickier in that it's much less forgiving of a hard landing. Well, there's there's two th- Well, most landings on water are are hard. You don't necessarily see greasers uh-huh. on the water, so it's it's uh, more of an abrupt arrival. There's there's but there's really two issues with landing on water. Uh, one is <clears throat> you want calm water um, so that it's not bumpy, and so that you you know you're not going to damage the airplane, you're not going to lose control of the airplane at high speed. Uh, but if it's too calm, you can't gauge your altitude in the flare. So you want a little bit of ripple. Yeah, I can, you want I can a definitely bit of, imagine that, yeah. Okay. You, know, you want maybe a six-inch wave or a foot wave or something like that. Maybe a foot's too much. But you want some wave action. You don't want glassy smooth because you can't uh, gauge the... You uh, can't see how high you are, yeah. You can't, can't gauge your depth although, perception. Although, if you've got the flip side is true lights, you can watch the shadow. Though, too, is that you want... Um, the glassy water on takeoff, you're going to have that much more trouble uh, getting the floats unstuck and getting on the step. So you want a little bit of wave action, but not too much. Interesting. Uh, but the the landing is unlike a, a, a say a tricycle gear airplane landing in that you get the right attitude, and the right attitude is is uh, where the 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 step of the floats is more or less parallel with the surface of the water. And that, of course, will vary from airplane to airplane. And you just fly it on with power, more of a slow flight kind of an approach. Once it's on the water, of course, you pull the power off, pull a yoke all the way back, and the thing decelerates like you just threw out the anchor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you want it to stick on the water, obviously. You want to get, you, you got to get the floats up. You got to, if the floats nose under, yeah, I would the imagine. tip. 
you're in big uh, trouble. If the nose, yeah, if the nose of the floats goes goes under the water, uh, you probably are going to ride off the airplane. So you've got to get the, the nose of the floats uh, up and out of the water at all times. I, I know why you were thinking the, air, the, the Aventura was imported because I, I did something on a, another plane called the Corsario. That's what it was. Very that's similar, it was. and it is built yeah. in Brazil and yeah. imported up yeah. here. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. that's uh, what I was thinking about, and it's yeah. imported by a Florida company. So cool. yeah, and it, they're very similar uh, in a lot of ways. They do have a, a, a couple yeah. of differences. Well, the Corsario is not a tailwheel like uh, most of the others. It's a tricycle gear, and consequently, you got this kind of unusual gear stowing mechanism. You got is one handle the for the mains. Gear, is this where the nose gear is always extended? No, no. The there, nose gear has, an LS, its, has an a LSA, separate handle. Has a separate handle for the nose. There's an LSA out there that uh, recently got an approved uh, conversion to Amphib floats, and it's a tricycle gear LSA. I think it's a high wing. I don't know if it's a CT or not. I don't think it is. But um, they got the Amphib floats on it. Nice little installation. Um, they're you know retractable, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the nose wheel basically stayed where it was. Oh, when they put and the floats on? When they put the floats on. Well, so how, and how does it reach the ground some, when you're there's landing some on? Little, there's some little um, um, a Rube Goldberg retract mechanism that basically kind of folds the bottom portion of the nose wheel with the main gear. The strut is still there. It still extends from below the cowling. Uh, it's kind of a novel solution. It's kind of draggy, but uh, uh, boy, if you if you remember what that is, zap me a link on that. I, I will. See that I one. will find a picture of it somewhere. I I saw it recently, and I don't remember where I saw it, but I'll I'll find it again. I'm sure. Yeah. It's, it's, anyway, seaplanes, amphibs, are amphibs in particular to me are like yeah. you know the all time cool. Well, let's let's go places airplane, although yeah. maybe not very fast. Well, maybe not very fast, but there's certainly you're going to get in and out of places that you couldn't otherwise get to. Yeah. Well, th- this uh, has the, long the, been one of those money no object fantasies. Yeah. Money no object. What would be in right. my hangar? I can uh-huh. tell you straight away. One of them would be an albatross. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. That would be cool. Yeah. That would be cool. Well, you know, talking about you know getting in and out of places you you don't go. I mean, the the, the flying I did when I was in Alaska. And I'll, I will freely admit that I was not the pick, and I wasn't uh, handling the controls for most of the uh, of these flights, and you know wasn't. Uh, you, you don't even want me flying around Alaska, but uh, uh, not unless you know, especially if you're the insurance company. Um, but uh, we were going into mud holes with these airplanes. And yeah, I mean, I remember one of them. Um, I got two stories come out of that. One is um, we plopped down in this this mud hole. I'll call it, continue to call it, um, and um, turned around and, and kind of taxied about halfway back. And and I can basically see the bottom of the water. And you get out of the airplane, you get get out on the float, and drop down on the water. And um, there's maybe maybe two feet of water here. And, yeah. and we're bouncing around on the, in the in the airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this piece of water uh, was long enough to get a, a loaded Cessna 180 on straight floats in, but you're not going to get this loaded Cessna 180 on straight floats out of the. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we we had the Super Cub and the 180, and um, uh, we're loading up. And we got our you know our limit of salmon, and and uh, there's I forget how many people, but uh, I guess there were there were five of us. Um, so we're loading up, and <clears throat> pilot and, and another guy get in the 180, and, and pilot and another guy get in the Super Cub. And just before they leave, I'm standing there. Wait, where y'all going? You know. And just before they leave, the pilot of the Super Cub gets back out of the Super Cub, hands me a rifle with a scope, says, I'll be back. <laughs> so I'm standing there. There's not another human within, you know, 10 miles of me, and I, I know there are bears in the area. And I'm just kind of standing there looking around behind me and, you know, turning around and, uh, you know, pacing in a circle and all this kind of thing. And, oh, about 30 minutes later, I hear this Lycoming you know, engine come whining around the, you know, uh, around the mountain, and here comes a super cub again, and, and plops down, and and I get back in, and we go uh, smoking off to wherever we were going. But um, it, yeah, that's one of those. That I did a bunch of flying in and around Prince William Sound some years ago. Uh-huh. None of it with me at the controls. Yeah. Uh, helicopters. Uh, a de Havilland Beaver on straight floats, uh, a Twin Otter on floats, a uh, bunch of boats, a bunch of helicopters. A uh, place where the Beaver pilot took me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were going in to check out the uh, some research being done on this island out in Prince William Sound. And he pointed it toward a little inlet and put it down about five or 600 feet outside the inlet and was slowed to walking speed by the time we entered it. Yeah. And uh, the guy opened the door and was looking down, and it reminded me of what I used to have to go through driving through the clouds on Lookout Mountain in northwest yeah. Georgia, where you yeah. had to open the door to see the center line straight down mm-hmm. because that was as far as you could see. And at least if you kept the car on the center line, you could be sure of two things. You wouldn't run off the road, and you'd probably ding your head on the head of the other guy coming the other way. Yeah. So Some of those operations, too, in Alaska, they open the door to help steer the airplane on the water. Yeah. He was looking for rocks, he told me. Yeah. I can believe that. I can believe and that. Yeah. When we, when we beached the airplane, and I started walking about halfway back one side of the little inlet... Uh, and, and this wasn't very wide. I mean, uh, uh, the the total water surface there was maybe two wingspans of that uh, of that uh, De Havilland. Mm-hmm. That was about it. Yeah. yeah. And and the rocks were substantial. Yeah. They yeah. they oh, yeah. put big ding big hole in aluminum in aluminum yeah. pontoons. Uh, and he zigged and zagged in and out. And I said, "You've been here before?" And he goes, "No, but this isn't all that unusual." Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm yeah, jealous, the, uh, I'm jealous of you in this, this uh, seaplane thing. You're gonna have to. If you're gonna be a seaplane guy, you're gonna have to come up here to the uh, here up in New Hampshire to the. Uh, they have a pretty substantial seaplane fly-in up in Central Maine. I think it's in August. And uh, I, I well, want to say Greenville. Not, let's not count our chickens. You know, I hadn't I hadn't uh, a gotten up there yet, or b um, gotten the training, All much right. less gotten through the check ride. So well, he hadn't he hadn't even gotten through the preliminary, which is you know being able to talk like a pirate. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> so what else is going on? Um, it's been a quiet weekend, Lake Wobegon. Yeah, right. Like, like hell, 107 yeah. degrees. Yeah, Jeb. 
Um, in the middle of overhauling the landing gear on uh, my airplane. Yeah. <laughs> so is this a good uh, adventure or a bad adventure? Well, thankfully enough, I'm not having to do much of the work. My uh, my good buddy, the man in black, is down from Virginia. Lee? Lee. How cool. Tell him I said yeah, hi. I will. I will. Um, so and, what have you uh, done? What have you had to do? What was the Well, the, the airplane's issue? been on... Airplane's been on jacks for about a, a week, almost a week, and just basically the the, the gear is is down and locked. But all the mechanism between the gear and the uh, all the extension mechanism and all the nose wheel steering mechanism has been basically removed and is being reworked or or uh, parts replaced. It's uh, I won't say it's a complicated system, but it does have. Um, some weak points, mainly in the, the in the rod ends that uh, uh, help you know move various parts back and forth and whatnot. Those rod ends on the Bonanza are are prone uh, to failure after several thousand hours, and mine were basically overdue. Thankfully enough, there weren't any failures, of course. But uh, today, for example, I had in one hand. And after we pulled some parts out of the nose wheel steering uh, uh, gear, and um, um, looking at, they were, they were, they were kind of worn. The bushings needed to be replaced and whatnot. Well, just for grins, um, got on the computer and priced what it would take to buy new parts for this. Okay. And uh, before the smoke cleared, we were talking about three grand worth of parts. Ooh, yeah. So we decided, yeah, we'll just rebush these and, and um, keep on going on down the road. Um, one part we bought new, which was a bolt that was uh, retail from from uh, Hawker Beechcraft, is like $94, a one bolt. Um, but ba- the punchline in all this is today... And all, all of these parts, you know, you think, well, there's a steering yoke and, and there's this this shaft and there's all this kind of thing and this big bolt and yada, yada, yada. And you think, well, you know, this is like, you know, some heavy-duty stuff, some major components, right? Yeah. I had $3,000 worth of parts for my airplane in my hand. <laughs> That's how small these things are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Why and, are they so uh, expensive? Because they're scarce? Because they're made of precious metals? I mean, what, what's... It's, they're made of unobtainium. Uh-huh. Uh, who knows? Um, th- it, one part, um, they're just they're close-tolerance parts. They're uh, complicated to machine. They're not in great demand, so there's not a whole lot of volume of them. And one of them was like, and I don't have a piece of paper in front of me. One of them was like $1,100. Another one was like $1,800. And you, know, you add in the dollar, the $100 for the bolt, and there was another uh, part in there that was a couple of hundred dollars. And before all the smoke clears, it's three grand. And yeah. you're like, whoa. This uh, so this is a little bit outside it, of our, our, our charter of trying to convince people that aviation well, is, you know. Yeah, no, no, let's no, let's let's, no, no, no. let's no, no, back no, no, no. up a second here. Jeb, yeah. Two things. One, um this particular airplane, I've had it um 9 years. And this is the first time that I've had to do major surgery, major maintenance on the landing gear. Okay. And it really didn't even have to do it. It was just kind of 
kind of sort of overdue as far as my mental clock is concerned. There's really no requirement um, in, in in an AD or um, in even in in, in uh, uh, major service recommendations to do this kind of work. It's it's one of the things that those quote in the know unquote about these airplanes know to do uh, at certain certain intervals. Um, two is um, the sum total of the parts purchased to to R and R this 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 specifically this nose gear steering system is going to be on the order of sixty four dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we made a bushing. No, I'm sorry. It's going to be it's going to be. Um, Sixty-four plus thirteen seventy-five. Do the math. Seventy seventy-eight dollars. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's the that's the amount of money we're going to spend on parts to to um, uh, inspect and repair and make as new um, this nose wheel steering system versus three grand for uh, for new parts. And then some of the new parts are not even available without a whole lot of uh, uh, pleading and cajoling. So. Um, it takes some talent. It takes some people who know what they're doing. I am not one of them. Lee is is the the person I'm speaking of, um, and I will I will pay him you know um, real money to do this, and I will be happy for it. Mm-hmm. Well, plus it, it's, it's, it is it is amount of money I'm happy to pay to get you know get all this stuff dialed in. Um, now this is a bonanza. Third third point. This is a bonanza. Debonair. Um, this is a, a um, not inexpensive, uh, but it's not exorbitantly expensive. Right. Get okay. in it, go someplace, traveling airplane. Okay. Right. That, that, that's what I wanted to, to, yeah. to, to kind this of This is not a Cessna 172. This is well, not an LSA. This is not a Super Cub or, or you know, well, something like that. Well, from the get-go, we've, talk, we've talked about the, right. this relativity of what you can, exactly. what you can do in flying. Versus what we'd ideally like to do in flying. What I'd ideally like to do with airplanes, uh, you know, I'm only one Powerball ticket away from. But in real life, <laughs> and, and you know, got to buy them to win. Right. I, I well, we, occasionally we do that too. But uh, you know, it's really easy for me to find what I know I can afford, and even get in. You know, get pretty reasonably close to the performance uh, level that you're that you're talking about uh but it's not going to be the entry-level airplane uh you know that's just mutually exclusive if you want to travel in an airplane with reasonable speed it's going to cost you more than a basic airplane that will let you travel at twice the speed of a car but slower than than that reasonable speed if you want to start pushing the 200 mile an hour mark things get considerably more expensive Speed costs money. You know, there's just no way, you know, no real way around that. And you find it even in the home builds. Uh, Although you can do a home built for a lot less, you know, AMUs, you got to put a lot of labor into that home built to make up for those AMUs. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but speed costs money and payload costs money. And you put speed and payload together like what Jeb's got. And, uh, you know, that's non entry level flying. But if you're willing to go 40 knots slower or 30 knots slower, we could put you in something that's going to cost less than a third of that to, mm-hmm. to own and a, a little bit less to fly 
and occasionally every bit as much to keep flying. Yeah. Speaking of which, are you doing your research for your uh, air venture uh, presentation here? What are you going to do? Are you going to talk about? Uh, are you just going to riff on uh, on ultralights, or are you going to do another no, one no, of your no, little no. guided tours of plane of uh, of uh, trade a plane or? Well, I don't. I, I've actually thought about this. I've actually got some notes. Oh, scary! And I actually scary, haven't scary. pinned yeah. haven't pinned anything down. Yeah. Well, you got time, but uh, Jack and well, I'm going to sit in the back row and, and shine a laser. Please, in your please feel free. Please, you know, you know, you'll you'll be the one I I, I can look at and not picture naked. Uh, <laughs> uh, probably gonna probably gonna lean toward. You know, the, the top three ways to get through this song and dance on minimal money. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, approaching it from you, you you need a license for anything but ultralights and hang gliders. So you, whether you fly sport aircraft or, or regular GA uh, above that, you know, you're going to need some kind of license. There's some ways where you can uh, you can take some of the juice out of that. Uh Deciding how to live within your means in a flying machine, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean settling. It means deciding on what you want to want to want to do, and then finding the price point for that kind of equipment that you can afford to do it at. Right. Yeah. Uh, would we all like to be flying, you know, new Mooney Acclaim S's or yeah. Cessna four hundreds or G three Cirri? Uh, yes and no. There's some real appeal there. My my real my, my real emotions get wrapped up in finding a really nice classic '60s or '70s airplane that I can for a lot less money. And it's not the money here; it's the classic aspect of it that I can for uh, a few bucks and, and a lot of elbow grease get really close in equipment and finish to what a factory new airplane would look like. And that includes the electronics and the panel. Yeah. And do it one, for a other, fraction of the one money. Other, one other point about the older airplanes versus the newer ones. Uh, the older ones generally weigh less. Yeah, they really uh, do. Uh, if you look at a 68 or even a, even a 78, A36 Bonanza, and um, the useful load that it has compared with a brand new G36 Bonanza today, the G36 has picked up, you know, two or three, maybe 400 pounds in empty weight. Wow. Uh, and all of that course comes out of the out of the useful load because they're not adding on to the upper end. Yeah. Well, and that, that, uh, that some of that, yeah, it's, it's, it's a couple hundred anyway. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of that is they've... Um, Back in the 60s and 70s, all these, of course, all these airplanes were made by hand. But um, let's say that with a, uh, a Baron, um, the, the same part on a Baron was beefed up, but they put the lighter part on the 36. Well, at some point in, a, in maybe in the 90s, maybe in the 80s, they decided, well, you know, let's we're gonna start cutting costs here, so we'll use one part for this airframe. Uh, across all of these platforms, across all of these different models, and they necessarily had to make it the heaviest of the uh, 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 for the model. So the, the, the twin the same part, the lighter part. Yeah, 
the, the same part would go on the 58 barren, but it would also go on the 36, and the 36 would pick up a couple of pounds maybe from that one part. And you start multiplying that by the thousands of parts in the airplane, and sooner or later it adds up to real, real weight. Yeah. Well, um, the little Comanche that we had. Yeah. Well, when we bought it, we had right about a nine 950-pound uh, useful load. Mm-hmm. And if you pulled 60 gallons of fuel out of that, the uh, full fuel payload was uh, right at about 600 pounds, just a little under. Uh, when we went on a tear redoing a bunch of things, uh, progressively we took about 40 pounds out of the airplane. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just by replacing old-fashioned crap uh-huh. right. for... You know, circa 1980s crap, uh, or better. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, in one, in one, the worst annual we ever had was a little bit over five AMUs. Yeah. yeah. But in that annual, and this, and this includes cost of parts. In that annual, we took out the old generator and put in a new modern uh, coil magnet wound alternator mm-hmm. we took out the original starter with its big bendix and put in a new lightweight starter from b and c also had uh electromagnets in it and not permanent magnets it drew less current to start the engine we put in a new solid state voltage regulator that had the capability of triggering an over-voltage or under-voltage trip warning light to go in the instrument panel, which to me was like hot stuff because, oh yeah, you know, now in addition to my little swing gauge over there on the right side of the panel with the engine cluster, I can put an idiot light right at the top of the panel in front of my dumb butt head, and when it comes on, know immediately, uh, Houston, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we replace the regular lead-acid battery, that was standard equipment on you know 800 different design airplanes with a sealed re, re, what do they call them recumbent re, gas thank you recumbent yeah i got one of those gas two. uh battery uh no maintenance never had to put water in it check it check the fluid drop it nothing. in bolt it in bolt the cables on close it up come back three years later and change it it was stc it was really? stc but yep. it was uh, had slightly lower uh, regular amperage, but the cranking amperage was about right. 10% better than the old battery, and it weighed about five pounds less. Net of the whole thing, I mean, the voltage regulator we put in weighed 1.4 ounces, if I remember correctly. The wow. regulator that we took out, 20 yeah. The regulator we took out weighed 20 freaking ounces. We gained just over a pound just swapping out regulators. Mm-hmm. You got the, net, the, the net weight loss through that a 5 point something AMU annual was almost 24 pounds. Yeah, that's great. And AMU, by the way, for anybody not in the know, is $1,000. So, AMU uh, stands for Aviation Maintenance. Aviation, aviation Maintenance, maintenance Units. Unit. Yeah. So anyways. And, you know, it's find the one that you can live with. And then love the one you're with. That's right. Yeah. And lavish yeah. on it all the stuff that you would, the same as mm-hmm. it was new, 
and and take it where you want. If you want to take it into the classic that it you know it, exactly like the way it was at the beginning, get yourself a good handheld, a portable GPS, so that you can motor cross country and talk to people and not run into places you don't want to. But do it that way. If you want to make it into a state-of-the-art modern traveling machine with all electronics and no suction pumps, no air-driven instruments, man, you can do that too. But you can walk away with a hell of a nice airplane that will match the same category as new in terms of speed and range and do it for a fraction of the money. That's right. So let me see if I can pop the stack here. So, uh, Dave, have they set a date and time for your talk yet? Have not. Okay. They have not. All right, we'll uh, stay in touch with that, and we'll make sure everybody knows about that when uh, when the time comes. Jeb, uh, any more sto- any more about the maintenance on your well, airplane? Just uh, I guess I guess two things. One is, is and Dave hit, hit all the high notes in in talking about uh, you know upgrading an older airplane's components with with the newer tech, lighter components, and and saving saving a lot of weight. Just on avionics alone, for example, I probably bought myself about 20 pounds uh, when I redid the panel, getting rid of a couple of boat anchors and uh, adding cap- a lot of capability um, t- uh, to it. And, and I've been very happy with the way it's turned out. It's been extremely reliable. Um, I wouldn't hesitate to do it again if for no other reason than the weight savings. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I guess, um, about you know, uh, um, maintenance costs and, and flying on a budget and things like that, um, again, on, on my airplane and its landing gear, <clears throat> landing gear has given me no problems. This is prophylactic uh, maintenance. It's, it's trying to prevent problems <laughs> down the road. No, don't go well, there, you, Dave. Don't go there. No, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, um, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was just thinking how, how rare it is to hear the word in such a properly good context. That's right. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and for nine years, for the nine years I've had the airplane, the, the maintenance on the landing gear has been jack it up, lube it, swing it a couple of times to make sure no gear doors are hanging down, and extend it, put it, get it down from the jacks, and go fly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's that's all there is to it. Um, well, so you know, it's it's the banana. It's, the banana gear system is one of the smarter designs in a lot of ways out there, and it's built like a truck too. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not. Uh, um, I, I don't consider the maintenance requirement on my airplane to be exorbitant. In fact, oh, well, you won't uh, have to do this again for years. I will. I will probably never have to do this again. Exactly. Okay, the airplane's got five thousand something hours on it, so, and it's a forty-two year old airplane. Um, I'm not going to be flying it another forty-two years. It looks uh, so much younger than you. Well, my underwear might make the cut, but not me. Okay, well, um, that's definitely a sign that it's time to move on. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, it, it's—I I don't consider any of this to be overly expensive. No. I mean, if I can, if I can afford it. Um, it's it's not a, it's not expensive. Yeah. Well, and you've made a choice to own and fly that kind of an airplane, right? And you know, and, and and which whichever way this swings, part of that is because you can afford to own and fly that kind of an airplane, yeah. and part of it is because that's the kind of, uh, of performance that you need for the kind of flying that you do. Well, and that's I want you know an airplane I can travel in. I I don't you know exactly. One of the, one of my, that's exactly what I mean. Needs, 
one of my pet peeves is, uh, well, you're a recreational pilot. Well, you know, them's fighting words. It's where I come from. Yeah. Uh, I use the airplane for personal transportation, just like you might use a Ford Explorer or someone else might use a, a, a John boat, you know, uh, or a Boston Whaler. Uh, it's personal transportation. It gets me places that I need to be, whether for personal or business reasons. And uh, that's that's the sum total of it. Uh, it gets me off the airlines. Um, the the recreational flying I do in that airplane is is not that much. Yeah. No, it's minimal. Yeah. Well, and and you know, the, people often have this really cockeyed perception that if you enjoy doing something. It doesn't count for work. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I think you the know, three of us have disproved that notion. Uh, you know, it's like, well, uh, well, we, well it's, it's not really like work for you, is it? Because you love it so much. It's like, it, it, oh, really? I'm, I'm still worn out at the end of the day. Right. Well, as Dave says at the end of some of our podcasts, you know, uh, hours spent flying are not deducted from your, your lifespan. That's right. And there's, there's something, A, you know, uh, to say to that. Um, but B, um, yeah, it is fun to fly your own airplane to go places. It is enjoyable. It is a different type of stress level from getting Absolutely. on air train and, and changing planes in Atlanta um, and taking, you know, all freaking day to, to get up the East Coast. Um, you're going to basically spend all freaking day anyway. You know, one of so, the best things about flying yourself is knowing exactly to whom you can address all complaints about the trip. That's right. Exactly that's right. right. That's right. Exactly right. Hey, well, there's, yeah, go ahead. Take this one step further. There's a discussion on one of the, the uh, email uh, lists uh, in, w- in which I participate um, that's basically any, the old perennial airlines versus GA discussion. Um, and... It, it, especially given the uh, some of the recent um, uh, fuel surcharges, given that you have to pay now to check a bag, yeah. Um, given the what what seems to be just the perennial delays involving the airlines, that you know even with the spike in fuel prices uh, affecting Hunter Lowlead, for example. Um, GA is starting to look better and better. Yeah, that's right. Economically, yeah, uh, because oh, of, no. of the airlines' troubles, they're cutting back on service. They're parking a whole bunch of airplanes um, here in Sarasota, for example. Continental has announced that they're going to discontinue service, uh, which is no great loss because there's plenty of other carriers serving Sarasota. But I got to think that that's going to happen in other locales around the country. Oh, sure is. Wichita may lose service, for example. Uh, Las Vegas is already starting to lose service. There have been flight cutbacks. Right now, uh, I just want Appleton to keep service until well, at least yeah. the middle of August. Yeah, that's right. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, and, and it's going to become increasingly difficult to get to those airports that still have airline service because you're not going to get direct flights, or you're not going to be able to make a one- or two-stop flight, um, you're not going to be able to go from, let's say, Macon, Georgia, to, um, I don't know, uh, Baton Rouge, 
or or uh, uh, let's pick another one, maybe Peoria, in one day and get back. That's right. You're, um, you, you simply cannot do it. So you're going to have hotel rooms, you're going to have meals, you're going to have ground transportation expenses. Um, but making Georgia to Peoria and back in a bonanza, to, to, to choose one example with which I'm familiar, is a piece of cake. That's right. That's right. Hey, listen, uh, I got I got beers waiting for me downstairs. So, uh, okay. uh, but, <laughs> but before, now we know how now we know how to keep them short. That's right. Don't but, let him have beer well, at the table. Clearly, it's failed. Um, so, you when are you going to get Oxford, the airplane back in the air? Um, maybe by the weekend. Um, um, kind of depends on how hard and heavy we hit it. While while Lee is down, um, I got a couple of other uh, non aviation projects for him. Uh, one of which, <laughs> I'm driving down the road last Saturday <clears throat> on my way down to the airport to to get some work done with Lee, and this guy pulls out in front of me on the highway, and I stomp down on the brake pedal of my truck and blow out a brake line. Get uh, out! Seriously, blew get a brake. Get out! Yeah, missed missed the guy who pulled out in front of me, but uh, had to get the truck towed back to the back to the house, and. Um, um, we got to fix that. We got to dump the drop the gas tank to do it. Um, so I don't know. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. So uh, um, <laughs> it's just just one of those days. All right. It's just one of those days. Well, I'm going to race off and have my beer here. So okay. uh, um, anyways. Well, I have one for us. I'm going to race back in and put more scotch in this class. So a friend gonna, of mine gave me a bottle. A we're going to try to get ago. together in another week, right? What's today? Today's Wednesday. And Wednesday. Wednesday. And yeah. let's see now. Next week, uh, oh, that's right. I may be doing this for my new apartment next week. That would be kind of cool, Ooh. huh? Yeah. Ooh. All right. Uh, All right. More then. technological challenges. Cool. Well, if I don't talk to you in the meantime, uh, I'll talk to you next week sometime. Hey, right. now we'll don't look. break any banks out there, man. That's right. I lost the game back. Did I tell you where were we last week? Where were we last week on that? I think I was like I was. Did I tell you I won fifty dollars? Yeah. All right. I won fifty dollars. All right. I don't quite have all that fifty dollars anymore. Oh, I'm shocked. I gave a little bit of it back. I'm still in the I'm still in the black here. I'm still on the plus side, but but that that probably won't last much longer. And that was this. Was this blackjack? What game was this? This is. I'm sorry. Oh, this is nickel slots. I'm this sorry. This is. Excuse me. This is quarters. <laughs> Twenty-five cent. <laughs> all right. All right. You guys take care. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Same, Jeff. Bye, bye. <laughs>